I don't know if it's just me or not, but sometimes when I consider some of the, the writers, particularly of the New Testament, I just think of some, just some like rugged guys. I think of Peter and I think of John and I just think of these guys. They're just, they're just muscled and rugged and tough, kind of like the man's man. And then for some reason, I don't know why, but I, I tend to think of the Apostle Paul as more of an academic with a pretty impressive sweater vest collection for some reason. I don't know why. And yet there's an inner fortitude that he has, no doubt about it. And yet I was reading this text, and I think one of the first things that comes to mind here is we know he's writing what? Under house arrest. He probably is chained literally to one of the imperial guards, the, the best of the best soldiers of that time. His, his, his movement is certainly restricted. And he writes with such just gusto. Forgive me, but he, he writes with such guts. And we see that in this text this morning. And I think that in all honesty, um, we can be kind of hard on Paul that he really, he would connect and relate to, to most people today. I think it's obvious that, that he loved even the subject of sports. And he, and he uses the, the subject of sports as analogies and pictures in much of his writing. He talks about boxing in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 26. I do not box as one that just beats the air. He talks about the subject of wrestling in Ephesians in chapter 6, verse 12. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against authorities, against powers, against forces. He uses these sports analogies because I think we identify and connect with that at some level. The one that I think is his favorite, he certainly uses it the most, is the analogy of, of running, of particularly a race. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 24, Do you not know that, that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Galatians chapter 2, verse 2. Paul writes, The gospel that I proclaim among the Gentiles in order to make sure that I was not running or that I had run in vain. Another one, Galatians chapter 5 and verse 7. You were running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 7. Paul says, I have finished the race. This is at the end of his life he writes this. I finished the race. I've kept the faith. Right here in our text this morning, Philippians chapter 3, Paul uses again one of these analogies. We read what? In verse 14, I press on toward the goal for the prize. So he's using this running analogy and he speaks to you and I this morning. Paul writes specifically to the church at Philippi, but the Holy Spirit uses his words to you and I this morning, and he talks about us, us right here today, February the 3rd, 2019, bundled up in the midst of the winter of Lock Haven, Pennsylvania. And Paul's talking about what? Making progress in life, about moving forward. He talks about us advancing and achieving and accomplishing in our lives, but he's not talking about accomplishing from a physical perspective, like another rung up the ladder in your personal career. He's not talking about that. The Apostle Paul is talking about the subject of us advancing or making progress in our spiritual lives. 
God is always, always, always more concerned about your spiritual condition than he is about your physical condition. Remember that. You hear me talk about that all the time. So our subject this morning is about you and I growing spiritually, making progress spiritually. And I so appreciate Paul's honesty admitting what he says this. He says, I have not already obtained his own spiritual growth. He looks at his life and he says, I I have not achieved spiritual maturity. Step back for a moment. This is the Apostle Paul. Do you realize that in the New Testament there are 1,000, excuse me, 179,011 words? In the New Testament, 179,011 words. The Apostle Paul has written 50,190 of them. You mathematicians are very quickly talking about, yes, that's right, 28%, Matt. 28% of the entire New Testament is written by this one guy. I don't know about you, but I'm like, uh, spiritually, he's doing pretty good. I think we we, we would keep him as an example of, of, man, I wish we could be. And yet Paul himself says, yeah, I I haven't reached it. I haven't attained it. I'm, I'm not mature yet. May that be our attitude. May that be your and my attitude as we are seeking to grow spirit. I don't care if you were born in the nursery of the church and have never missed a Sunday. You still have not arrived. We all have opportunity and, and a way to go as we grow. I know that we read this text and hear language like this. <clears throat> Just what you want to hear this morning. We're pressing forward. We're straining forward. Some translations use the word. We're reaching forward. Something tells me that as you read this text, like this is, uh, this is not going to be a fun one to deal with. Okay? And think about this. This is like in the middle of winter time, and it's, and it's cold outside, and it's dark, and people are depressed, and they're discouraged, and, and you're looking at other people's Facebook pages, and you, you see how they are like warming their feet in the sand down south, right? With a little drink in their hand, little colored straws on it. And you're like, I can't believe it. It's so horrible here. And then you come to church to be encouraged, and you hear words like this, straining forward, pressing onward. And so we immediately read this. It's like, this is going to be fun. No, 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 no. Don't jump to that conclusion. If you think for a moment, if you think for a moment that this is a discouraging or depressing text, you are dead wrong. It is, I believe, arguably one of the greatest, most encouraging texts that are found within the pages of the New Testament. Why would you say something like that? Let me ask you this question. Have you ever done anything that you wish that you would not have done? Hmm give you a couple um, uh, pictures. Have you ever, like, 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 just, like, you've been given an opportunity and you just blew it? You, 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 you dropped the ball, you struck out, you missed your cue. You, you forgot your lines. You, you made just a royal mess. You made a mistake. You made a bad decision. You missed the mark. 
You got mad. You got angry. You sinned in some way. How many of you have ever done something that you wish you would not have done before? That would be all of us. Every single one of us. As a matter of fact, we'd probably go back to like, like this morning, like as recently as this morning or yesterday or this week. Yeah, I, I did something. I wish that. And therefore today, we are given this word as a gift to us. We are actually instructed upon the full authority of the word of God. God has breathed this word to us. He has inspired this word to us. He has given it to us as a gift. And he says this, four words, hold on to this. Forgetting what lies behind. From this moment, we are instructed through power of God's word himself to forget what lies behind. That sounds like good news to me. How do we do that? Well, it's, it's, it's not going to be easy. Let me tell you. Let me prepare you for it. We're going to need certain things in order to forget and make the spiritual progress that God desires and has designed for us to make. Let me give you three things very quickly this morning. The first one is this. In order to forget those things which are behind and, and make progress spiritually... Number one, we're going to need concentration to stay focused. Number one, we need concentration in order to stay focused. But one thing, one thing, Paul says, one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind. You ever watch a runner run a race? How much attention are they giving to, like, what is behind them, to, like, the ground that they have already covered? How much attention are they giving to, like, what's back there? To my understanding, not a lot. Runners, runners don't, why? Because if, if you're looking back there at the time, you, you're going to run the risk of, I, I, you're probably going to trip, your feet are going to get tangled, you can fall, you get passed by someone. So, so as we, in a sense, forget those things which are behind, we're not looking back. And just because maybe you've had past successes doesn't mean that you're going to have present successes. Yeah, I've just won the last 11 races. Does that mean that you're guaranteed to, to win the 12th race? No, absolutely not. So Paul says in order to concentrate here, we have to what? Realize that we can get very easily distracted with the noise around us in this world. The Holy Spirit knows that. The Holy Spirit knows that we can very easily get drawn and distracted by those things around us. And so he tells us to, to focus on one thing, forget what's behind. Now we have to certainly be aware of what's happening around us, right? Hopefully you put your sneakers on this morning in order to run a race. So we have to be aware that there's, there's circumstances to our own life. We all have different stories. We all have, have, have had different chapters written about our lives and different upbringings. We all have different strengths and weaknesses. We all have certain spiritual struggles in life and temptations. And all of us are at different levels in our journey towards the Lord's. 
But we have to remember that maturity, spiritual progress, means that we have learned from some of the stupid things that we've done in the past. We don't live back there. We certainly don't live back there. But we have to learn from some of the dumb mistakes that we've made. So that we can move forward. Thankfully, thankfully, as a gift of God's grace, we can remember that when we have blown it, when we have sinned, the mouth just moved and words came out and there was, there was destruction that came. I didn't, I didn't want to hurt that person, but we did. What happens? We know that God loves us enough to offer forgiveness for our sins. What happens? What happens when you blow it? First and foremost, we remember in Mark chapter 2 and verse 10, you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. The only one that can forgive you of your past sins, of your past mistakes, is God himself. What happens with that? First John chapter 1, verse 9. We already read it, and that so perfectly just set us up. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from unrighteousness. And we live with an understanding that God loves us enough, God loves you enough to forgive you with, with, with every stupid thing you've ever said, every wrong thing that you've ever done. So much so that it says in Romans chapter 8, there is therefore now, present tense, today, this moment, no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. So we, 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 we ask for forgiveness from our sins. We know that God is the only one through the work of Jesus that can, has, can forgive us. He's paid a price for our sins. What, what, what happens now? I love the picture in Psalm 103. It says that God will separate as far as the east is from the west our sin. So far will he remove your transgressions from you. That they're done with. They're gone. It's a picture that speaks about infinite separation. That the east and west never meets. That's what God does with your sins and my sins when we ask for forgiveness. I love the other word picture in Micah chapter 7. It says, he will again have compassion on us. And he will tread our iniquities underfoot. Love that picture. It says that you will cast all of our sins into the depths of the sea. There's still areas and oceans that, that with all of the technology we have today, we still can't see the bottom. It's that deep. It's unknown. And when you sin and you ask Jesus to forgive you of your sins, it's gone into the depths of the sea. I love the story of the old Dutch watchmaker, family of watchmakers. You have heard, I'm sure, of Corrie ten Boom and, and her family that hid Jews in Holland away from the Nazis. But she and her family were actually arrested. Her own sister was killed. Corrie ten Boom, a godly, godly woman, wrote, and she says this on that very picture. She says, God takes our sins, the past, the present, and the future. He dumps them in the sea, and then he puts up a sign that says, no fishing allowed. Isn't that beautiful? Because you and I know what? That the enemy, Satan, who seeks to destroy us, 
seeks to just wreak havoc and cause destruction that Satan loves to bring back, to dredge up your past and dangle it in front of you. How dare you go to church and lift up your voice in praise to God. And Satan whispers to you, says, you know what you thought. You know what you did just this past week. Thankfully, thankfully, through Christ, we know the truth. I love how Paul writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation, and old has passed away, and behold, all things have become new. You know what we need to do this morning in our concentration to stay focused in order to move forward in our spiritual progress is to remember to forget. That's what we have to do. We have to remember to forget what has happened in the past. Now, now there is a balance that is struck here. Wait a minute. Don't we have to remember at least so that we don't forget to make the same mistakes again? Yes. Yes. And the Holy Spirit gives us the ability to balance that. Matthew Henry says it like this. There's actually a, a sinful forgetting of past sins and past mercies, which ought to be remembered for the exercise of constant repentance and thankfulness to God. She talks about the fact that we have to remember what we have been forgiven from. We have to remember that what? Through our own repentance, God has created in us. But new, a new self, a new person, a new being. We just can't let past snares and traps become present snares and traps. So what do we do in this spiritual progress? We are to have what? Concentration to stay focused. Number two, we're also to have motivation in order to move forward. If we're to concentrate, it's not necessarily concentrate just on, on what is ahead of us, but specifically we're to concentrate on who is ahead of us. It, it gives to us a motivation. Paul says it like this, I, I press on, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of or in Christ Jesus. This is what we would call what? This is what we call the big idea of the, the preaching portion of this text. I press on speaks about a constant, continuous, unrelenting, unbroken, unceasing effort of moving. And he says specifically toward the goal. I like this. This word toward, Greek word kata, it actually means to focus, but focus downward. And this word, word goal, kapos, means mark. So you could, you could read the literal translation that says, I bear down on the mark that is ahead of me. I bear down on the goal. I bear down on the prize. Well, this must be a pretty important prize, right? I mean, if you're bearing down and you, you, unre, you are unrelenting in your pursuit of this, this has got to be a pretty impressive goal. Because it's a goal that, that motivates Paul to, to, to run in such a way, it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 24, he runs to win. So it's got to be a pretty impressive goal 
It is. Because this goal is Christ himself. We could say today Christ-likeness. That, that our goal is to pursue Christ, is to pursue our lives in such a way, have our lives pursue Christ in such a way that we are like him in our lives. And there can be no greater, there can be no better goal in all of life to pursue. Because not only is Christ the goal, but he's actually the means by which we can attain the goal. And, and we see that in this phrase that we have been called Just pause on this for a moment. You and me have been called by God to Christ. Just pause on that. You and me have been called by God himself, by God, to Christ. Whoever signs up to run a race with this idea in mind, I hope I finish dead last. Like, really? You like put your sneakers on for that? I really hope that I'm like so far behind everyone that they're actually packing up their stuff and heading back on the bus before I cross the finish line. Man, I'm hoping for that. Have you ever met an idiot run that kind of a race? No. That's not the way that we think. There's, there's a motivation in order to win. And, and therefore, in this particular context, the motivation must be massive. God. Complete. Sovereign. One who reigns and rules for everything and everyone. Created everything with a spoken word out of nothing. He is all knowing. He knows right now what is wandering through your mind. How much longer is this guy going to go? He is all-powerful. I want, I want it to get just a little bit colder in Lock Haven, Pennsylvania. And it happens. He is all-present, creator, sustainer. He is redeemer of the entire world. And he says this, I want you, the God, points and he says, I want, I want you. Do you realize that we have that type of an infinite God in a personal way speaking and pointing to us that says, I want you to pursue Christ. You ever, ever been picked before? Ever been chosen? You know what it's like. Your feet are up against the back of a chain link fence and there's two captains, right? And, and, and like, because they're always the best, like, Lord, you, you get to be like cool captain one, and you get to be really cool captain two, and you get to pick all the losers, and all of us losers are standing along the chain link fence, we're going to kick in the dirt, like hoping, hoping nobody sees us. And, and, then, and then cool captain two, like really cool captain says, I want you to be on my team. And you're like, <laughs> losers, it's me. And, and, and if, we, if we were to use that silly, silly little picture, say that God himself values and calls every single one of us to pursue Christ. And we are motivated, a massive motivation. Why? By knowing that your calling is from God to Christ. Now, you can be assured, this, this doesn't mean it's going to be easy. 
It doesn't mean it's, it's always going to be fun. And so I think that there's times and, and seasons, to be frankly honest, even this time of the year, which is so difficult for many. There's times in our calling by God to Christ. Here's the deep theological idea behind it. You just have to gut it out. You really do. The times that you wake up early in the morning, you're just like, I, I just want, like, I just want another day to go. And, and, and the Lord says, no, I want you to spend time with me in your word first. And everything fights against that. And you gut it out. You just go to the word. You gut it out on your knees in prayer. Day after day after day after day. And you just gut it out in faithful disciplines. It's cold outside. It's hard and it's dark. And no, these are the times that we don't just crawl up in a fetal position. No, we, we bundle up. We, we, we buckle buckle up. We buckle down. We bear down. And you just do it. Paul says this, I discipline my body and I keep it under control. This is language that doesn't always speak about it being fun and easy. But hear me on this. If there are no spiritual disciplines and practice in your life, there will be no spiritual progress. Hold on to that. If you just think you're going to flit and flitter your way through life and expect Jesus to just come meet you, but there's been no spiritual disciplines, no submission to Him, no trusting and offering of your life. No spiritual disciplines and practice. There will be no spiritual progress. So we know, number one, we need concentration. Number two, we need motivation. Number three, we need determination to finish well. It says this, for those of us who are mature, think this way. If anything that you think otherwise, and I love this, God will reveal that also to you. Paul's saying, just, just keep your eyes on him, and he will let you know whether or not you're veering to the right or veering to the left. God will do that. So this whole idea about determination, when it, when it gets hard, and let me just prepare you, it will be hard. It will be hard to follow Christ, follow hard after Christ. In those times it's hard, and the first thing out of your mouth is, yeah, but I just, I just, I just can't. No, no. There are the moments that you're reminded that, yes, you can't, but God can. And that God literally dwells inside of you. This is where God promises. He promises. He promises that He's our refuge and our strength. And He is a very, and I love this, present help in trouble. Psalm chapter 46, verse 10. A present help. To tell you the truth, if I'm broke down on the side of the road, I don't want someone 10 miles away say, don't worry, I'm here for you. <laughs> Sorry. I want somebody to, to, to show up next to me. And that's what God is doing. He shows up not just next to you, but he actually shows up in you. A present help, what? In, in the Psalms is actually speaking about the ministry of the Holy Spirit of God. That we know that Jesus, just in his final hours of ministry here on this earth, he's about to go the way of the cross, he's about to go the way of the tomb, he's about to go the way of heaven, and he's sitting with his disciples, and they're like, like, like buttoned in, and they're like scared to death. And three times, in three different chapters, Jesus uses the exact same word. 
John chapter 14, verse 16, Jesus says this, And I will ask the Father, and he will give to you another helper to be with you forever. And those disciples kind of shuddering in the corner, like, what? A helper. Next chapter, John chapter 15, Jesus says this, But when the helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me, and you also will bear witness. This helper comes. There's a helper. There's, there's help coming. John 14, John 15. Now in John 16, nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. If I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. In one conversation, three times, Jesus speaking to his disciples intentionally uses this word. Paraclitos, helper, one who comes alongside, one who comes to our rescue, one who uh, is intentionally close to comfort us when we need to be comforted, to be an advocate for us. I will give you a helper. How encouraging is that for you this morning? that as difficult as it is, as hard as it is, as dark and cold, God himself says, I'm going to give you a helper. Now remember, the, the Spirit of God ministers to us primarily in two ways. And this is where we need to pay attention in closing. The first way, the first, the primary way that the Holy Spirit ministers to us, the Spirit of God ministers to us, number one, through the Word of God. That's why what? That's when you have to gut it out. Yeah, I just, I just read it yesterday. That means read it again today. Yeah, I just read it this morning. That means you read it this afternoon. I read it this afternoon. That means read it again tonight. You see, the primary way the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God speaks to us and comforts us and encourages us is through the Word of God. It says that the Word instructs us. The Word teaches us. The Word the word corrects us, chastises us. You don't have to spend much time in the Word of God before you realize, man, i got a long way to go. But thankfully, I've got a helper. The Spirit of God speaks to us through the Word of God. So as He helps us, you better make sure that you listen to the primary means that He has given to you to help you. Not only does the Spirit of God use the Word of God, but here's another one for, for us, and this is going to be hard for some of you. You know, the second primary way that the Spirit of God ministers to you, not just through the Word of God, number one, but also through, here it is, the people of God. Oh, really? I just, faith is it's just a private thing. It's just my, my faith is just a quiet, it's just, it's just me and God. N no, it's not. Let, let me be honest with you, okay? It's not just you and God. It's the people of God, which means what? The people of God, the people that surround you in your life. God has actually chosen to speak into your life. What? The word of God, which means what? We have people, specific people. Maybe your own family members, your spouse, your children, your grandchildren, your grandparents. Maybe it's neighbors. Maybe ones that you see together in church. 
that through the Word of God, the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God using the Word of God, the people of God are what? They're also teaching you. They're also instructing you. They're also admonishing you and correcting you. And that's only going to happen when you give them permission to say, guess what? We need, we need one another. And so I literally, I've had to give permission to men to speak into my life. Tell me, tell me when I veer to left or right. Sometimes I don't see it and you'll see it. Steer me, listen to the word of God in your own life and point it to me because you'll see. That's hard to do. You know how hard it is? For someone that you care about to come up to you and say, hey, Boger, I love you, but you're acting like a real jerk. It's hard to hear that, but it's necessary to hear that if there's going to be spiritual progress. God promises what? He's going to be a refuge and strength. He's a present help. It's going to be through the word of God, but it's also going to be through the, the people of God. Then you've got to give permission to let others minister to you, to receive help. Oh, but that means that I'm needy. Yes, that means you're needy. We're all needy. It takes humility. Paul himself says, I have not yet attained. Who do you think you are to think that you have, that you don't need others? It takes humility to receive help, but all of us, all of us, all of us need it. We work hard. We work hard at this church to put you in pockets, pockets, Classes, Sunday school classes to learn, to listen, to be taught. Home groups throughout the entire community. People are like, no, no, I don't need that. It's just, just me and God. That's bad teaching. That's bad theology. And you will starve. You will shrink backwards as opposed to moving forward in progress and spiritual growth and maturity. Let me leave you with this. In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, Paul says it like this. Do you not know that in a race all the runners run. All the runners run. But only one receives the prize. So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. So I, I do not run aimlessly. I don't box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body. I keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. But there's humility there. There's no doubt that Paul has this. He writes this, this image of the ancient Greek games, which later become the Olympic games, when people were brought up to the front podium. They received this little wreath. Like they, they trained and they worked. And they got like an olive branch put on their head that died a week later. Really? Paul says there's a, there's a reward that doesn't perish. There's an imperishable. And that's how Paul reminds us and the Holy Spirit promises to be with us as we seek to what? Say what Paul has said. I have finished the race and I've kept the faith. That is our call today. That is our challenge. Oh, how I want to finish well. How all of us should desire to finish well. Let me remind you that you are not alone, okay? If you think that you've been trying to gut it out all by yourself, it's just dangerous and it's wrong. So I invite you, 
nothing would, nothing would bring more joy to my life than to know that we can meet with you and pray with you and encourage you in your journey. All of us, all of us need to forget certain things behind and focus on the prize, Christ, and being like Christ. And so I encourage you today, this day, this morning, to pray with someone. We're going to have a couple couples up here just so that you know. Um, uh, Craig and, and Kimber Brady are going to be sitting up in the front, and Zane and Sandy Padalev will be over here. And, and ladies, if you want someone to meet with, and meet with one of these ladies. Men, seek out one of these guys. It's been a tough week. It's been a tough winter so far. And we're struggling in our own spiritual progress. And you can't do it alone. And so I invite you to come and, and just be open to, to pray with another person. And we'll do everything that we can to come around you so that together, so that everyone runs and runs to you. Father, we love you. I thank you for your word. I would ask that you would um, just give us the strength that is needed as we strive forward in our own progress spiritually. God, we, we thank you that you are more concerned about our spiritual well-being than our physical well-being. It doesn't mean that you ignore our physical, but one lasts forever. And we pray right now even for the Holy Spirit to work in and amongst us and speak to individuals that know that they're, they're trying to do it alone. We know, Lord, this is challenging, but we thank you for the promise that, that, that you yourself, the Spirit of God, indwells us. You've given to us the Word of God, and you've given to us the people of God. And we thank you for that. Father, help us this morning to be encouraged through your promises and through your Word. That there is a prize that does not perish. That there is eternal life through putting our faith and trust and surrendering to Jesus as Lord. And we thank you for that. We love you. We ask these things now in Jesus' name. Amen.